How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar the ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. My name is Hitzir. I'm Isa. Uh, and returning once again as a very special guest is uh, Christopher Falk from Dark Matter Theatrics. Introduce yourself, Chris. Hi guys, uh, you've heard me here on the fall. Uh, this is Christopher, and I'm from Dark Matter Theatrics, uh, one third of that particular group. Very nice. Uh, Chris has been a regular guest on Behold and on uh, Genre Equality as well. Um, specifically on Behold, I think, like whenever there is something um, theater related, we kind of get uh, Chris on as our like expert panelist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very flattered. Expert, I am trying <laughs> well certainly more expert than the rest of us like, who have minimal experience in the world of theater despite being fans of it like, you are you are like you know uh busy at work in the world of theater so you you probably know more about what you're talking about i hope so <laughs> <laughs> and um as you can see from the title uh we'll be talking our main topic this week is about the broadway musical Hamilton. Yes, that's right. Um, if you are not aware, and you must have been living under a rock if you don't know what Hamilton is, Hamilton, an American musical, or better known simply as Hamilton, is uh, basically a hip-hop musical uh, with music lyrics uh, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, it tells the story of um, America's founding father, Alexander Hamilton, you know, uh, the broke son of a whore, uh, as the musical calls him. Um, it is based on a 2004 biography, Alexander Hamilton, by uh, Ron Chernow. Uh, and as I mentioned, it draws heavily uh, from hip-hop, R&B, pop, soul. Um, instead of the usual traditional show tunes that you might find in musical theatre, mm -hmm. um, another way that is revolutionary is also that it casts primarily non-white actors as the founding fathers and other historical figures. Um, there are Latino actors or Latinx actors, uh, primarily black actors. Um, Eliza, for example, is played by an Asian-American, Philippa Sue. So uh, traditionally, like non-white actors playing white characters. Um, Miranda describes Hamilton as um, America then, as told by America now, which I think feels pretty uh, on point. Yeah. Um, if if you're not aware, like uh, we've, we we kind of discussed it uh in the previous episodes, uh, but I I've actually seen Hamilton uh, a few years ago based on a a really shitty bootleg <laughs> camera phone version that I found on torrents. Um, so this is a way for me to watch it. Uh. In all its glory, like in 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 official form, uh, it's now streaming on Disney Plus, which is a which is a great thing, because as much as we all love musical theater and and Broadway, it has for so long been the providence of of rich New Yorkers, mm -hmm. people of means who can watch these things, and I think Hamilton, uh, specifically Hamilton of all of the other Broadway musicals, deserves to be watched by a wider audience, especially for those of a lower economic income who who can't afford to spend thousands of dollars to fly to New York, such as us. Uh, thousands of dollars just to buy tickets you know yeah. um and it's it's fantastic that we finally get to watch it on disney plus la. and considering 
that I have uh, seen Hamilton before, obviously in you know in a very diminished capacity. I I will add my thoughts later. But let's begin with Chris first. Uh, I think this is kind of your first introduction to watching uh, Hamilton the musical. Uh, what do you think about it, Chris? I think it was a very prominent uh, piece uh, with regards to its music choice and music style. Uh, mm-hmm. Musicals have always been defined by a lot, not just by the story, because uh, sometimes the story is secondary, but really by its musical choices. And yep. uh, they use the wide array of musical styles in terms of rap uh, and the genre of, of, of rap uh, made this much more uh, a, a, it stands out even more against other musicals of that kind of uh, that kind of genre uh, uh, musical style. So what I'm talking about would be like things like Rent. Uh, Rent was really uh, prominent uh, uh, back in the nineteen seventies, uh, I think. If I'm yeah, not wrong. Uh, and it's still prominent now, actually. Yeah, it's a yeah, and yeah. and. The, the the contemporary uh, pop sound of it really endeared itself to a lot of audiences and that made it much more musically complex to sing uh, and also to to pick apart because uh, mm-hmm. people who go for musical theater uh, not don't only enjoy the emotional turmoil that uh, uh, usually happens in certain songs but also in uh, looking at a turn of phrases that uh, are usually present in the music, right? So mm-hmm. uh, with something like rap being the forefront musical element, uh, there's so much to unpack, so much to re-listen to, and it's no wonder why it became so popular that even uh, high schools around the, around, uh, the US were, uh, who, those who were privileged enough to go watch it were singing it uh, and, and learning the rap. So I think uh, that's what makes it uh, so uh, iconic uh, for this uh, turn of the century. I mean, like you can set aside like uh, Avenue Q or uh, the Book of Mormon, all of which came out during the same period of time, but they will not, to me, they do not resonate as much or do not have as much an impact because the musical styles were still very popish. You know, mm-hmm. as compared to Hamilton, so uh, that to me, uh, really carved itself a kind of niche, a kind of it filled a void, basically it filled a void that was not present in musical theater for a very long time. Yes, a hundred percent agree with that assessment. Uh, how about you, Isa? What What do you think about Hamilton as a musical? Uh, my. Okay, so 2015, like when Moment Hamilton came out, right? Like, uh, it's it's all we heard about from kind of the musical theater scene for a while, right? Like the amount of hype that surrounded it, how good it was, the fact that you had to wait months and months just to get a ticket, you know, and yep. exorbitant amount of money that the tickets cost itself. So I, uh, based upon Hadi's recommendation, actually went to check out um just the music, the you know, and not the, the actual, yeah, yeah, the soundtrack itself, which was on Spotify at the time. Uh, and I, I spent a good amount of time just listening through all of that. So it's it's it was quite uh, um, I was quite excited to kind of see 
um, you know, the it in its entirety. This, I mean, not on stage, but you know, uh, uh, in in its visual representation as is presented um, on on Disney Plus. Um, it is it's good, right? Uh, and I enjoyed large swaths of it. I I feel um, the songs are pretty amazing. I have to say, like uh, a lot of the tunes were stuck in my head for 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 days at a time. Um, after watching, uh, after streaming it off of Disney Plus, um, but at the same time, there were parts of me that were just like, "Wow, um, it's been a couple of years, right?" And uh, maybe the impact of that has kind of like uh, lessened. Uh, but I think, given the context that we're living in right now, I I'm not sure if that it it necessarily lives up to the hype, right? Or it doesn't actually. Uh, it seemed like so promising as someone who never got to see it. Right, and I was excited to be able to do so at some point in the future, maybe fingers crossed. Uh, but now having seen it, um, I, it's a good musical. But I'm I have other more complex feelings after watching it itself, which I am guessing we're going to get into in a short while. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, one hundred percent, definitely. Um, this musical, if you are unaware, was shot in the June of twenty sixteen at the Richard Rogers Theater in New York. Uh, this was just weeks before Miranda and most of the original cast uh, made way for new actors and interpreters to to kind of take their place. Uh. But prior to that, you know, it had won uh, Tony's Grammy, Grammys, the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So uh, clearly, very culturally hailed. Um, Behold is a podcast that usually talks about things that are underseen. So why is something so beloved being reviewed on Behold? Well, because a lot of people don't get to see Hamilton. They've heard yeah, of exactly. it. They've maybe checked a couple of songs out on Spotify. They've seen uh, David Diggs and, and uh, Leslie Odom Jr. and, and Lin-Manuel Miranda perform at the White House. But to see the actual thing come to fruition in, in, in visual form... Uh, as, as you said, uh, Isa, uh, this is the first time it's it's come out. Lah. So obviously, yep. we weren't there to watch it in the theatre, uh, to experience it live. Uh, but this is the next best thing to a front row seat. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of how it was filmed, uh, it was filmed, uh, I think it was edited uh, through three different... Uh, it was filmed three times, uh, two times with an audience, one time without an audience, which allowed a cameraman to go up on stage to film some close-ups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, Chris's point of view, um, how does the film version, uh, what, what do you think about the film version? Does it add or detract from the theatrical experience, you think? Um, I would have to say it detracts, mainly mm-hmm. because we are seeing what the camera wants us to see. Uh, mm. With musical theatre, uh, a lot of, uh, with an ensemble cast, especially with an ensemble cast, uh, you have the privilege if you're there live to let your eye wander, right? Yes. To see who, yeah. what, what the ensemble cast is doing in the shadows, uh, in the backdrop. Uh, sometimes when I'm watching a musical live, I don't want to look at the main actors. I want to look at what everybody else is doing. And mm. that to me is uh, because of the camera work, it forces you to train your eye on the main character. There's nothing wrong with that. But it does rob, for me, some of the liveness of it. Um, yep. I think uh, the, I, I do have to add like about uh, watching this show because uh, when I was in New York, I think this was like three years back, I tried to get in. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I, 
I I did the lottery for the tickets, okay,、uh-huh. which I didn't win, and then I stood outside to go and see whether I could get like standing tickets. All of it, no go. Like it is impossible to get a ticket to that show, and this was just like three years three years back. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's obviously super tough to get in.、Um, what about you, Aisa? What do you think about the film version of this? Um, I I I think well, we just recently reviewed um something that would also have been you know um oh no the name just slipped my mind but yeah um the yeah, dance film <laughs> oh um yeah Pina, uh, Pina. yeah Pina right which also would have restricted the audience to being away from the stage right and we were talking about how. Um, having the cameraman on stage and all that kind of movement in the close-up、um, brings、mm-hmm. a different kind of dimension to that.、Uh, obviously, Hamilton here is not in a three D format, which we didn't get to see in the first place、uh, for、yep. Pina.、Um, but I do feel like it it presents something that's very different. I do agree with Chris that at the same time, like there is definitely a、um, kind of difference. I I feel like whenever the camera is on stage, there's a different kind of energy that's involved, right? Like、mm-hmm. the stage actors aren't drawing from the energy of the crowd anymore,、uh, and they are clearly kind of playing to the camera, right? Which is something that interrupts what people would want to imagine the theater experience would is.、Um, but at the same time, it solves a very fundamental problem of distance in theater, right?、Um, the、yeah. fact that. Uh, mm. A lot of the time, if you're not getting front row seats, right, you're missing out on a lot because there's only so much that you can focus on at a given point in time. So it's、mm. kind of a toss up between you know being able to be in that place and 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 experience it from an audience point of view,、uh, which for I mean large parts of of、um, of、uh, Hamilton film does portrayed from that point of view or from that kind of like、uh, angle. Uh, yeah. But whenever we are on stage, right, it's a toss-up between like the fact that if I was in the theater to watch this, I probably wouldn't be able to enjoy the action up close like that, you know,、mm. or like the little details. Sometimes it's hard to、um, see exactly the the kind of emotion that act- actors are trying to pull off. Uh, uh, you know,、uh, it it gives a bit more detail to that. As opposed to me being at a theater and like it's all happening on stage and I can't necessarily focus in on one thing or I want to focus in on one thing and therefore、uh, leave it out. So it's um I think they did a good job of it、uh, all in all, right? Like it's a good balance between you know、uh, trying to evoke、uh, the whole、um, feeling of being in the theater together with the audience, but at the same time like giving you Enough of a different point of view so that you don't get bored. I think. Yes.、Um, yeah. And the additional, yeah, the additional focus on certain points of view while you don't get the full picture,、uh, it does add a bit of depth. I think to the scenes that they try to do that with. Yeah, yeah, it, it does、um, provide, in my, in my opinion, a, a different bit of a contour to, than than a live、mm. uh, performance. Obviously,、um, I I've been reading some interviews with with a lot of the primary cast actors who said that、uh, whenever the close-ups were there, they they toned it down lah because camera acting and theater acting is obviously different monsters. Yeah. So they 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 muted a lot of their expressions. They they were acting for more cinema or for TV lah. You know, they they. Mm. A bit more nuanced、uh, facially with that, so I mean they're professional actors; they know how to do both, lah. Yeah.、Uh, as as we've seen, and I think they did it very well.、Um, musically, I want to I want to kind of get into 
the, the the I don't even know how to pick out like a great <laughs> song because they are, to be honest, they, this is one of the few musicals where I think like top to bottom, first song to last song, they are all fucking bangers, man. Yeah, mm. they are also lyrically dexterous. The the repeating. Uh, the repeating lyrical motifs, the interweaving, the interweaving of motifs, um, ju- and just like on on a pure verbal dexterity rap level, this is some high level rap and some high level spoken word poetry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. Um, the history books teach us that Hamilton was a soldier, a statesman, and a legal scholar, and and where Hamilton really kind of succeeds is by delving deep into into the man, la, into into showing us how in the first act his uh, his ambition is uh, is an inspiration yep. and in the second act that same ambition can lead to hubris and downfall so it's it's a nice mm. like um rise and fall story as well uh but in terms of the music right um what what are some of the standout songs to you and why did it stand out to you uh let's let's begin with chris um is it guns and ships is that the song with lafayette Oh his yeah. High, oh, oh yeah. And his high powered ah. rap. I have re-listened to that song mm-hmm. quite a number of times. Um, yeah, it's the But then you want more of it because he stops at a point and then uh Washington starts singing. So yeah. uh I mean like it that that's uh that particular rap really astounded me because he could rap in this French accent. That was just amazing to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah. and the electricity on stage. Uh that was mm-hmm. one of the few songs that I felt uh I felt ex- uh physically excited to to watch. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh because a lot of the a lot of if I'm talking about emotional intensity in musical theater, the reason why you want to watch it live is because you want to hear the virtuosity of the singer and also yep. the energy that they're transmitting with their own bodies. And, mm. and that was one of the few songs for this uh, for the Disney Plus uh, version, right, that I could really feel that electricity of energy. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It's the difference between streaming Coachella and being at Coachella, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. well, what about what what about you, Isa? Oh, I've got to agree. I was just about to say, basically anything that uh, where David digs is the main centerpiece of the musical mm-hmm. number, right? Like, I'm a big fan of. Um, we we of course uh just reviewed Blind Spotting not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. as well. But man, that guy, he's an amazing performer. Uh, so strong on stage, such incredible presence, and he never. Um, uh, how. Just the speed at which, right, he spits his rhymes is pretty yep. insane. Like, regardless of whether he's playing Lafayette or whether he's playing Jefferson, um, it it was something that uh I I needed to rewind to watch a number of times, right? Just because of how dex the kind of dexterity that he he his performance has, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and even the switch of characters from uh, Lafayette in the beginning and after Lafayette dies. When he goes to Jefferson, just like it's the I same like, actor, you can you can tell. It's, yeah. Um. I mean, it's not. It's 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 basically just a costume change, right? But mm-hmm. the the tone and the way that he he enunciates the character, uh, you know, with the accent and all, and the way he carries himself, it's it's very deft, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, definitely. Um, I love the the dual roles that a lot of the main cast played. Mm-hmm. David Dix, obviously, his charisma is just preternatural. Yeah. Right? It's 
it's off yep. the charts. You know, I felt like I felt like you know, like those scientists at Chernobyl trying to measure how much radiation there was. You know, <laughs> and I was trying, I was I was trying to measure how much like charisma David Dix had, and like my like meter was just going off the hook. Like I just couldn't. David Dix is so <laughs> insanely good in everything he does. Um, Thomas Jefferson damn near steals the second act. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. just with his. In, insane hilarity and he, he provided a lot of like kind of much needed comedic relief to a more emotionally driven second act as well uh. yep. mm-hmm. um, my favorite song though was uh, by uh, Angelica Skyler yeah. uh, it was um, Satisfied mm. uh, oh. primarily because um, Satisfied and it's because I'm not super in uh, I haven't seen that much musical theater I, I watch a lot of musical cinema but I don't watch a lot of musical theater but to my knowledge Satisfied does something unusual for musical theater in the sense that it, it has a non-linear chronology. Yeah. Um. It it goes back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of time traveling in a sense, you know. Rewind. Um. Uh, the performance of that was so good. It was so powerful. It was so emotional. Yeah. Struck structurally, it was so unusual for me as well. And and one of the standouts from the first act. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and a lot of I mean. Everyone does a really good job, you know. Um. Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance of Aaron Burr. Uh, is something that I found to be interesting. He kind of played him. Uh, he, I mean, number one, Aaron Burr is almost can be argued the main character of the show. Yeah. Um, because he is narrating it, and and it's the story of how his life is affected by Hamilton, despite the fact that he does kill Hamilton in the end. Um, and Leslie Odom Jr. plays him sort of like this high school nerd who just wants to be with the cool kids you know like mm-hmm. his posture and stance it's such an interesting way to present vice president um Aaron Burr that uh is new but also not unfaithful to who he really was yeah um very very good uh Christopher Jackson the man who plays uh, George Washington woo, what a powerhouse yeah yeah um Joshua Henry, who plays uh, Hercules Mulligan, and then James Madison. Um, two vastly different characters. Hercules Mulligan, the tailor, James Madison, kind of the sickly uh, coughing guy. Um, fantastic. He has a very raspy rap, you know, mm. that you kind of, uh, like, uh, you can find from, like, ODB or something. Yeah. Uh, Javier Munoz, who plays uh, John Lawrence in the first act, and Philip Hamilton, uh, Hamilton's son in the second act, uh, does also very, very well, uh, especially when he was playing baby Philip Hamilton. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Really good. And also, I mean, man, shout out to uh, Jonathan uh, Groff, uh, who plays uh, King George III. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> very, very, like, small small kind of thing, right? But, like, Jonathan Groff almost steals the show in his little vignettes because, uh, number one, like, his, his songs are structured like Britpop numbers. <laughs> da, 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 yeah, da, yeah. Da. You know, so it's, uh, it's kind of like how Americans... Think of, of of British actors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 wonderful. Uh, uh, so I'm sorry. I, I I by the way, I have to correct I have to correct myself. Uh, John Lawrence was played by Anthony Ramos, uh, not Harvey Minos. And Hercules Mulligan was uh, Okriet, uh Onado One. Uh, man, fan- fantastic actors all all around. Uh. Yeah. Um, and any other like uh standout performances or or showcases that you would like to mention? Oh, uh, Philippa Sue, man, like see, like. R- Wow, uh, I, it's it's kind of heartbreaking her portrayal of of Eliza Hamilton, uh, mm. and all. I think like the most emotional numbers, uh, for burn. sure. Oh, burn, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that and like I was also reading up about like the, uh, all the 
kind of um, behind the scenes uh, tech that goes into doing a scene like burn the paper is kind of unique it only burns for a certain amount of time you know yes. so safety and all of that but yeah Filippo Su pretty stand out like I, it was very very moving and very heartbreaking um, uh, for her to kind of portray you know the things that, that Eliza was going through um, but yeah I mean yes, like the it, whole list of them mm-hmm. it's yes, so please. easy right for, for biopics and, and all of that especially focusing on a powerful man to overlook uh, the people around his life specifically the wife you know uh, yeah. and I love that like Hamilton doesn't ignore Eliza or what she went through uh, in fact she's kind of a central piece to the emotional arc of uh, Hamilton as a character mm-hmm. uh, in this play uh, sorry uh, let's let's go back to Chris. Chris, I remember that you posted something about Jonathan Groff's spit. Would you like to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it was about, uh, it was an article about the about the brilliance of his articulation. Like, <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, uh, basically he's, he is a spitter on stage that much I know, mm-hmm. uh, especially yep. in the way he, he performs uh, because he yep. does like little Broadway numbers as well. Uh, the, the thing about it is that uh, somebody was analyzing it and it, it turned out that uh, King George was also a spitter. <laughs> so it was oh. very true to character on stage uh, for that number. Um, the, actually, the, the other actor that I really want to highlight uh, is uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, if you didn't know, yeah. in 2016, he won Best Actor in Musical for the Tony Awards. And yeah. uh, he... He won it over Lin Manuel Miranda, the actual creator. So the, I I think what really struck me about the character of uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh Aaron, Aaron, Burr. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. Uh, yeah. Uh, the thing about it is, the the song "Wait Wait for It" was very resounding for me. I actually repeated mm. that particular song quite a few times. It reminded me a lot of this other play called Amadeus uh, mm, between uh, yes. uh, uh, Mozart and what's the Salieri? Uh, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, uh, so it was about how uh, one, one man's brilliance and genius overshadows somebody else's hard work and that particular yep. theme of uh, uh, carried on in that particular song and that's actually one of the only other songs that I know of that the Hamilton cast did this 360 degree uh, filming of mm-hmm. that particular song in the uh, on the Hamilton stage itself uh, and it's up on YouTube and I found it interesting that they that they had it as a kind of uh, uh, that they that they put it up at that t- period of time because I think uh uh what was it uh Trump just won <laughs> yes yeah so uh there is a lot of the the thing about this musical is like the 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 ties between what happens in politics and when it comes out is uh is actually very very tied together because I was I was also taking a look at uh when this musical came out is also during the period when Barack Obama first won office. Yes. So uh, everything was very timely. That's what makes it so iconic. 
I agree, yeah. It was a uh, musicals can't just be good. It has to appear at the right place in time, right? And and yeah. Hamilton certainly is is one of those. Lah. Um brilliant musical. If if I had to have like one small critique about it outside of more contextual issues, um it's that like uh let's get this out of the way. Lah. Um Lin Manuel Miranda, phenomenal songwriter, clearly, yep. phenomenal yep. playwright, uh yep. very very good actor. Uh and, but uh decent singer um as a as a rapper and a singer he's he's okay he's good you yeah. know but he's clearly not at the level of of the rest of his co-stars yeah, and maybe sure. of, of of all the performances that is there's the one one thing that you kind of kind of give a slight to hamilton and, and that's just a very small little nitpick la. then Menno miranda does so much heavy lifting in the in the building of this play that like kind of kind of dissing his performance it's not even really a diss because i i admitted that he's good he's just not as great as his as, as his co-stars you know mm. like limino miranda is like the fucking avatar la, and like there's this one element that he's just not really good at uh yeah but yeah, he, that's he, great. He, he does everything so well so uh props to lin manuel miranda for this la. um any other like concluding thoughts before we kind of kind of address some of the hamilton backlash that has uh that has appeared since the show became uh, more widely streamed uh, no, none from me. Yeah, no? I, I, what about you? I what think about we've you? covered. We've we've covered you know the musical as as it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, okay. Uh, then I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose we we can uh move on la. Um, Hamilton obviously has been praised for its its race swapping and and racial inclusiveness. Um, uh, inspiring story of of immigration. All of that's very well and good. Uh, but Hamilton has come. Under a bit of criticism, uh, not so much like against the, the artistic value of the play. Uh, I think any everyone who has criticized sort of Hamilton has recognized that Hamilton is a phenomenal musical, one of the best out there. Like the the issues are not against Hamilton as a piece of art; it's against kind of some of the messaging in it or some of the historical inaccuracies in it. Um, with regards to the historical inaccuracy, I think it is a bit misplaced because Hamilton is obviously fanfic I think um, yeah definitely <laughs> definitely Hamilton like just the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda decided to make these people like black Latino and Asian is clearly already fanfic let alone the other small little historical inaccuracies la. it is a largely t- true story but there are some things that are completed yep. some things that are skipped over it is a 50 year story that they are trying to tell in song over two and a half hours, you know. So it is obvious they can't include everything, and some things have to be condensed and completed and skipped over, etc. Yeah. So I mean, it is clearly fanfic. It's like saying Inglorious Bastards is bad because it is inaccurate. The inaccuracy mm. is kind of the point of it. So that part I kind of like push back against. Uh, um, but for you, Isa, there were some other issues, right? Yeah. So. Uh, okay, what's interesting to me is that a lot of the criticisms that 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 have ar- arisen is because it's gone on on streaming and now a much larger audience has been able to see Hamilton, right? Outside of the hype and all of that when it first came out, you know, um, the, the many years that it's been touring around um, the States and all of that, the difficulty in, in obtaining tickets and so on and so forth. So much yep. of the criticism has only come because it's now available to to uh, the mass public, right, in that yep. sense. Um, much less to say the kind of times we're living in right now with Black Lives, Movement, uh, Black Lives Matters movement and, and all of that that's going on. Um, I understand where you're coming from when we say that it is a form of fan fiction, right? Like, it is incredibly difficult to squeeze 
what um, Lynn Manuel Miranda managed to squeeze into in two and a half hours. Uh, and uh, he himself said, like, uh, the moment I think um, people started talking about it on Twitter, like, he came and said, yeah, all criticisms are fair. I believe I tried my best. Everything is fair game, right? Mm. Um, and I agree to a large extent, like, as a creator, that it really is only that much that he can do. My question is, is that why is it, uh, it's only now that, you know, these criticisms uh, are there? Right or have surfaced, right? Is mm-hmm. there something so different about the fact that the people who had Hamilton available to them to watch, right? The kind of demographic that that appeals to, the kind of demographic that can afford to um, consume that when it mm-hmm. came out, right? What is so vastly different about that and, and you know, um, something like a streaming platform like Disney+, Plus, which is, of course, way more affordable and way more available. Um, so as far as everything goes, like, I feel right now with with Hamilton coming to streaming and and what the world is like today and what America is like today, uh, it's I I finished it and going like wow that was really good but it left me wanting more right like there were so many things that I feel despite how powerful in and of itself the musical already is right with with the race swapping and with the way that it's portrayed and trying to kind of like demystify you know. Um, the, the flaws and the the linchpins of these these founding fathers, as powerful as those things are, like in today's uh context, it needs to be more, you know. Um just because, you know, he they never kind of address like it uh, all of everyone on stage, right? The all the characters that are portraying, slave owners, right? Uh we barely touch on that. Not not Hamilton though. Yeah, but okay, no, um, yeah. So you got Washington, you got Jefferson, and and so forth. Not Hamilton, but like, uh, I was reading an article where uh, Lin Manuel was talking about um, he did want to leave something about slavery, um, but the thing is, is that nothing came of it, right? Like within the scope of the musical itself, there was a number that addressed that, but it went nowhere because in reality in history that also went nowhere right uh because none of them actually did anything about it you know yep. the status quo was uh, continued to to um progress as it were back then uh and i can understand that is but i just can't shake the feeling that you know i wanted more uh to be addressed i think like or at least acknowledged um mm-hmm. in in a way that didn't feel so problematic. So it left me kind of torn, right? Between like the fact that I, I've by and large enjoyed um, the musical itself. But it's so... There are more salient issues that it brings up viewing it now than it might have been in 2015 uh, for a global audience mm. um, and not just people who can afford to watch Broadway, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's something Hamilton, uh, not Hamilton, sorry, Ma- Miranda himself, uh, cops to you know saying that like he would he like to take it further and, and address more of uh, you know uh, issues of slavery, issues of race within the context of the play. He surely would have loved to, but uh, I think just within the biopic nature of 
Hamilton and trying to tell just Hamilton's story itself. Yeah. Um. He he just didn't have the space for it. Like, what what do you think, Chris? Do you think that uh, Hamilton should have addressed uh, slavery more openly? I mean, yes, he did call out Thomas Jefferson in you know in the rap battle for owning slaves and things like that. But do you think that he uh Lin Manuel Miranda should have taken the issue of slavery further in the musical? Uh, no. To me, the answer is no, mainly because uh, the, the context of the whole entire uh, musical was to get independence. It was the Civil yep. War. Uh, mm-hmm. If we're going to frame it in that, in that manner, then uh, it would, we wouldn't be looking at Hamilton. Yes, right? yeah. It yeah. would have to be somebody else. It would, uh, it would have to be a different player. And then that would change the whole entire scope and mm. point of view that we are following. Um, I, I just want to draw a comparison uh, between uh, what Hamilton is as a, as a genre. I mean, like, uh, if we are, whenever, uh, some, whenever a stage play comes up and we are looking at people of authority, Right. Yep. Uh, it's either they are uh, uh, the writer is looking at it as a satire, or it's mm-hmm. really a, a a blatant criticism of whom of the political situation. Correct. Yes. But yep. I don't think uh, uh, Lin Manuel uh, sets out to subvert anything else except to fan fictionalize and place whom he thinks should be in these roles of power. So he, throughout the writing mm. of it, I think he probably struggled quite a bit with reconciling, like, I have to be aware that a black man, I want a black man to play this character, but there's so many com- problematic things about his history as, mm. uh, as, a, as a real-life uh, person uh, in history. And because of that... Uh, there are just things that you have to cut out because uh, if you put those in, you fur- further problematize things and then you yeah. will not be able yeah. to close off the musical or settle it. So that's why I found it very smart of him mm-hmm. to use Eliza as the way to close the thing, close mm-hmm. the whole entire musical because once Hamilton died, I didn't want to hear from him. The whole entire, <laughs> whole entire musical was uh, to... S- uh, to serve as a vehicle for his story, yes. To talk about this, the this, uh, the America's independence, but uh, we do have to look outside of it in order to get an objective view. Because if not, everything will be coloured with a certain kind of prejudice. Uh, mm. uh, I just want to draw a comparison between this. Uh, this particular musical and another musical about uh, the civil rights movement, which is Hairspray, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Hairspray has uh, black characters and white characters, and they have equal equal say in the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing about what makes Hairspray also very problematic is that the white girl is the savior of the day, <laughs> right? Of course, yep. yep. <laughs> right? Uh, yep. If we want to, if if Hamilton is also trying to tackle that that uh that uh race problem, mm-hmm. uh something as simple as putting a black man to play a white character is uh something that you have to overcome, or 
remedy it with something else. And that's why I find it so ingenious of for mm. Lin Manuel to use rap, right? Because then you take the words out of white men's mouths and you put yep. the put the words you want them to say. Exactly. I think what Manuel was trying to do was trying to say that uh, Hamilton and the Founding Fathers were imperfect. Specifically with Hamilton, it was a very kind of what's and all biopic of him. Like it showed all his greatness and it showed all his flaws. Um, that, that was good. But what he, he was really trying to say was that, look at this black and brown people fighting for independence. Maybe black and brown people should be fighting for independence, fighting for against oppression in the same way that these white people did against these British people, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was inherent in, in kind of, I mean, kind of baked into the subversion of the of the race swapping. Uh, um, I, I, I thought it was a, a brilliant musical. Yeah, there were some historical inaccuracies, but I felt like it can really be overlooked. I mean, a couple of things like number one, like right at the end when uh, Hamilton dies in a in a pistol duel with Aaron Burr, which is insane uh, to think about that you know uh, that duels were happening back then. But yeah. um, uh, in reality, Hamilton actually did take his shot. Uh, Hamilton shot at Burr. He missed. He hit a tree. But as a thematic parallel, after spending the whole musical saying that he's not going to throw away his shot, Hamilton dying by throwing away his shot is such a better ending, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I. And, and I get why he did that. And plus, it also offers the parallel with how his son died. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought it was just like a better ending, you know. Um, oh, yes, the, the, the race between Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr didn't come down into a tie where, where Hamilton broke it, you know. Hamilton, yes, he did endorse Thomas Jefferson, but it wasn't, he was at that point not influential enough to influence the race. Uh, so there were small things here and there that, uh, that were inaccurate, but I felt like it... The inaccuracies were creative liberties that fed into a better story. So, you know, and when I'm watching a story, specifically a fanfic story like this, I want it to be the best story it can be. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I'm okay with the liberties being taken. Like, and there were small liberties too, because by and large, most of the historical things were very true. Uh, with regards to slavery, it really, it is an important issue, but this wasn't the Civil War. This was the Revolutionary War, you know. There was, at that point, there was nothing they could have done about slavery if they wanted to. They, yeah, he addressed it here. There were some characters uh, like John Lawrence and all of that who, want, who were abolitionists and real abolitionists in the sense that they were trying to free, free black people. Mm -hmm. um, in real life, Hamilton was kind of, a, I don't know what the term is, like a do-nothing abolitionist. Like, he was an abolitionist on paper saying that, you know, slaves should be freed, etc. But he never actually did anything. But he was part of a particular generation where he couldn't have done anything, really, about it. Um, it wasn't until 100 years later, uh, Lincoln, uh, the Civil War happened, then something concrete could have been done. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree with both the critiques and the defense of it. Uh, but I think overall, like, Hamilton as just a piece of art is... is a really remarkable thing that a lot of people should watch because I know a lot of people are not super into musicals mm -hmm. and I get it, but this is a different kind of musical. This isn't like La La Land, you know. This yeah. is an important, special, transcendent musical. No, this to La La Land. I, I love La La Land, but I'm just saying like this is better. Um, number one, a lot of people are bothered by the fact that musicals transition in and out from normal dialogue 
normal scenes into musical uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. Hamilton doesn't do that. Yep. Hamilton is song, 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 song. Dialogue is sung. So it never, you never have to suspend this belief. It's always music video of the music video of the music video, you know. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why Hamilton has sort of transcended to the casual audience where they don't have that suspension of disbelief. Do you, do you, do you think that's, that's one of the keys to it, Chris? Uh, that is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, like, yeah. uh, in terms of uh, if we're just talking about the the writing of a song in a musical, mm. usually the song is supposed to be a vehicle for both a transformation of the character who's going through, through some t- kind of turmoil and then yep. uh, comes out of it. And you see that with all the musicals that, that, that uh, Disney shows that, that come out, like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Frozen is, and, and so on and so forth. But yes. with a true and true musical to have every line sung, that is a feat of virtuosity. His his uh mm. for for Lin Manuel, and it's something that uh only after a person who has watched many musicals is able to 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 create uh this kind of complex book. Uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a feat. It's a piece of art, like like you said. Oh man, it's a feat. Um, Isa, any any closing words uh, before we cap off our Hamilton discussion? Uh, no, I totally agree uh, with what both of you have just said. I mean, like it, it the technicality and the virtuosity within the musical itself. You can't you can't take that away. You know, uh, from from Lin Manuel or the 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 cast, right? Like it yep. is. Uh, it is pretty mind blowing what they were able to kind of pull off, right? Um. Yeah, and still on the whole, right? Despite everything, and and uh, my conflicting feelings aside, it's a great piece of work. Yes, yeah, I think that's the kind of one common thread I've seen through all the people who love Hamilton unreservedly. Things that one of the greatest uh, things ever put on Broadway, and I agree with that as well. Uh, but the thing that I notice amongst all the critique is after all the critique, everyone says, "But it's a goddamn fantastic musical." Yep. <laughs> and, and <I've, laughs> At the end of the day, it's a goddamn fantastic musical. And you should 100% watch this if you haven't. Even if you're not a musical theatre person, even if you're not a musical person, I think this has the capability to transcend uh, any sort of uh, genre biases you may have. Uh, and anyways, um, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on our Hamilton discussion. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Brilliant. Uh, you can find Chris on Dark Matter Theatrics. Just search for Dark Matter Theatrics on Facebook. Whenever COVID-19 wraps up, you know, they'll probably be up and going once again. Uh, wonderful. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Goodbye. And that was our Hamilton discussion. Do watch it on Disney+. Plus. It's available right now. Uh, once again, thank you so much to our quote-unquote theatre expert uh, for coming on to become, uh, for, as, as one of our panellists, uh, to, to talk about a musical theatre experience, much like Hamilton. Uh, moving on we'll, to our regularly scheduled programming. This is the part of Behold where I recommend something to Isa and Isa recommends something to me, something that we haven't seen, heard, or read yet. Uh, for this week, we'll be talking about a Hulu cringe comedy, heavy emphasis oh, on the cringe, <laughs> uh, called Pen15. It is spelled like penis, you know, P-E-N-1-5, Pen15. 
And then Isa recommended to me a really breezy, uh, very funny comic. Oh, not comic is the wrong word. Manga called uh, The Way of the House Husband, which features a domesticated ex-Yakuza boss uh, trying to get on uh, as a house husband and how his like, you know, previous criminal activities keep dragging him back into his past, but he's just interested in being the best house husband he can be <laughs> uh, and, and supporting his wife's career. Um, very interesting. But we'll begin with uh, Pen15. Pen15 is uh, on Hulu. It was created by Maya Erskine and Anna Konko. Uh, they, um, amazingly enough, they are 31-year-old women who play 13-year-old versions of themselves as outcasts in, 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 in middle school in the year two, three, 2000. Um, it's kind of a period piece because it's set in the year 2000. <laughs> um, the, the, the main kind of draw of it is that these, these two 31-year-old women are playing 13-year-old versions of themselves surrounded by actual 13-year-olds, you know. Um, it is a pretty... Uh, it's a it's a weird sight at first, a bit jarring. Yeah. Uh, what I what I found really great about Erskine and Conkle's performances was that they are so immersive in how awkwardly uncool, how how cringy tween uh tween girls can be, you know. Um, and and that's what I really loved about Pan Fifteen. I, besides the fact that it is kind of a really authentic depiction of uh of a tween female friendship, it's kind of a this area that we haven't really explored before on screen. Yeah. Um, I saw I saw watched it uh recently. I watched it a couple of years ago when it came out. Um, what do you think about uh Pan Fifteen? Oh man, uh, you're right to say that. I in the initial phase it, it was very jarring right like yep. it was it was kind of hard to um imagine then in in the first couple of episodes as as um 13 year olds right yep. uh and there there are always these moments where that kind of seeps back in but after a while you kind of get used to it and then their performances are altogether very convincing i have mm-hmm. to say um but more importantly, uh, instead of what what struck me the most is that these moments where it's not just you're reminded that they are not thirteen year olds, um, but sometimes you forget that they are not adults, right? Like, yeah. um, there are just moments in time, and some of the the problems that they go through, some of the themes that they explore, and some of the stories that go on, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's very easy to forget, first of all, that these are two uh, adult actresses. Yeah. Um, um, that's one but at the same time it's also so easy to forget that uh, the the things that they go through as 13 year olds right uh, you forget mm-hmm. that they're kids yeah. right you forget that they're playing kids and that's how kind of like real um, their portrayals become you know eventually in the series yeah. um, but it's a cringe fest oh my god so cringe will be so I, I mean, cringe will be I, I loved it after I mean, it, it, it took a while. Uh, like, I kind of wanted to stop the first time I watched it. But then the cringe, I, I, I kind of got hooked onto it. I wanted to see how much more awkward they can be. Just And the thing is, I've recommended Pen15 to so many of my female friends. Uh, and then they loved it. But they stopped watching the middle because they felt that it was too real. Like, mm. this was too honest a portrayal of... of adolescent tweens, you know, yeah. to the point where they just saw so much of themselves in it uh, that they can't keep watching because everybody went through these phase where they were so uncool, they were so awkward, they were so cringeworthy themselves. Like they said yeah. dumb things, they did dumb things. Um, it's it's kind of a mark to uh, how how authentic uh, this, this comedy is, you know. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, there's so much about it that I didn't want to like, you know, like when I was first reviewing it for Potwire, like I, I thought 
okay, it's intentionally juvenile title might be a turn off to some. Yeah, a, a turn off to me a bit. Um, two thirty-one-year-old actresses playing thirteen-year-olds, you know, amidst a sea of middle schoolers, sounds like an amusing sketch idea that could run dry when when stretched into a full-length series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in the year two thousand, which might indicate that it. it kind of crutches on millennial nostalgia and yet like in defiance of all expectations Ben 15 kind of transcends its gimmicks to bloom into one of the sincerest warmest and kind of painfully universal coming of age stories on mm-hmm. television you know yeah. it kind of combines this uh the raunch of of big mouth with with the residence of eighth grade um it's uh, it's a uh, it manages to traverse meaningful new territory that is both wonderful yeah. heartwarming and humiliating oh uh, with, within, <laughs> uh, within an overly mined genre. Um, I mean, yes, there is broad humor within its its premise inherent uh, sight gag, I guess. Yeah. But as as the show goes deeper, uh, so do the laughs, and so do the aches, and so does the characterization. You know, other school shows have a tendency to make adolescent protagonists seem wittier or more worldly than they could reasonably be at that age. Yeah. Know? There's a lot of high school or middle school shows where everyone's so witty, but Pen15 kind of leans into the uncool awkwardness very hard. Oh. Maya and Anna, <laughs> they react inappropriately to everything, and, and we instinctively see the, conf- the confused posturing, the, the inability to understand emotions that we've all experienced at that age. It's, it, a lot of it is agonizing to watch, but it's, it's, it's also fundamentally relatable it's it's a it's a testament to erskine and conkle's dedicated dorky performance that, that we believe <laughs> that they're 13 again uh do, do, do you feel the same things Isa? yeah uh for sure i i i had a hard time kind of getting into it right and it's not just i mean like when you first tried to, to sell the story to me or, or the premise to me rather i was just like okay you know i'm gonna give it a shot but i don't really know like how that would run out so it surprised me a great deal right um at the end of the day, for such a for something that would be a sticking point, right? The gimmick itself is is the st- sticking point. Um, but out of that, you get something that's a very real, very genuine story. Uh, yeah, with very real and very genuine uh, portrayals of 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 uh, what a thirteen year old in two thousands experience would be. <laughs> uh, yeah. and that is the basis for. A lot of great moments, I feel, um, throughout that, yeah. and a lot of great performances uh, throughout mm-hmm. the series itself. So, uh, I was very surprised. Uh, I liked it more than I thought I would, um, even after the first couple of episodes. Uh, and it uh, it's a testament, I think, to to just how well written uh, it it, um, it 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 is, right? Mm. Um. Yeah. So I fully agree with you. I mean, they're just like wow, so cringy. I, it was hard to kind of like. There were moments where I I had to stop. You know, I was just like, oh <laughs> yeah. my god, I cannot. I really, really cannot. Um. Yeah. I I I I wish we could have have a. We could have a, a someone of the female persuasion on on board to discuss this with us. Um, yeah. Just to kind of like hear from them. I mean, like obviously, neither you or I. I have had uh anyway close to a similar experience with that. Yeah, sure, we've been 13 before and we've been awkward before and all of that. Um mm-hmm. in our time, but uh it's a very specific experience, I think, uh for yeah. Queen Girls. And um I, I wow, it must be hard, man. Like 
uh, it it was tough growing up as a boy, but this is like shit. <laughs> oh, definitely, you know. I mean, there is something surreal about watching Maya and Anna at first, but the kind of the physicality is so immersive that they kind of convince you that they the kids they're supposed to be um, sometimes. And and before long, I kind of see why having adult actors. At, at first, I was wondering why not just cast 13 year old actors you know? yeah but like after a while i noticed why it was important to have adult actors there because you know there are some stories like when maya first discovers masturbation for mm, example yeah uh an act where she becomes unhealthily obsessed with uh it was important to have an adult doing that because you can't have a 13 year old be masturbating on screen yeah exactly. uh you know so it's for that story beat itself you know uh naturally this is kind of a, a key moment of early puberty so it, it's rarely explored on tv because it would be creepy to have a, a kid simulated on screen yeah uh but you know the adulthood and uh, the, the adult uh, nature of the of the actors kind of sidesteps the issue yeah. quite elegantly i think um and it the benefit is also unafraid to go very big with its humor you mm. know? um like maya and anna are good enough on script and on camera to pull it off uh, but it's kind of the show's small moments navigating you know relationships family and unfamiliar new urges that kind of endears you to its emotional authenticity um even you know there, there's a lot of well-trodden stories in there like, they involve boys bullying parents divorce but they ring truer than most uh coming of age stories mm-hmm. uh most compellingly though i think is pen 15's kind of forthright depiction of the complex nature of uh tween female friendship yeah which is kind of rare amongst the most shows of this ilk that are created and written by men you know maya and anna are self-conscious and defensive uh growing on different timetables yeah. which can sometimes lead to devastating fractures in their bond and on more than one occasion their childhood promise to always do everything together just isn't fe- feasible right yep. and i think that's a universal thing that, that happens with boys as well um and their tendency to get caught up in their own drama often blinds them to the moments when their the their best friend needs them the most it's a this is kind of a keenly observed uh portrait of pubescent purgatory you know? You're neither <laughs> a child nor a teen you know uh and it's kind of a, a love letter to the the fondly remembered era you know that was you know line, landlines and dial-up modems oh, and man. spice girls yeah. and, and jelly beans um like the y2k touches aren't overbearing but they provide a wonderful flourish yeah. There's a period-appropriate style to the kid's crude vernacular. Every other sentence contains like a slut or a bitch, you know. Uh, so the the language that the kids in the 2000s and the 90s, which is when we grew up, yep. uh, is it's very different. Uh. It's a bit blunter. You know? and <laughs> there's even like a weirdly specific episode built around a group of kids uh, trying to watch Denise, Denise Richards' uh, Denise Richards' um, <laughs> wild, wild Things, the yeah. erotic thriller. Yeah. Like, um, that is so wildly relatable to me, even <laughs> as a boy because like I remember me and my friends at 13 trying to watch uh, Wild Things we bought the the, the pirated VCD we get it in a in a, somebody's uh, parents were out of town and we went to their house like the kind of the same things happened to us it's so yeah. really relatable you know? <laughs> and, and and kind of like the casual racism of the era isn't ignored either like yeah. there's a chance it could have been like too woke but to be inauthentic, but it doesn't, like, you know, it, it doesn't ignore the casual racism of the era, kind of setting the stage for a particularly difficult episode where Maya, who is half Japanese, realizes that even her best friend can be complicit in making her feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just like really, really good stories and really, really good character work here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, that episode in particular was great. I think like um, to capture what it was like in the 2000s, right, as far as, you know, um, talking about race and 
and all of that and like just even Anna being caught up in her own kind of like uh, rage and you know the injustice of it and how her demonstration goes so wrong you know like so so well written so good like it it doesn't yeah like you said like it doesn't you know um doesn't tone doesn't tone down you know um the casual racism of the time but at the same time you no know, addresses it in a way that has some growth for both characters as well oh yes yeah man uh loved it um kind of the, the the cringe worthy elements on display like i feel can be a bit challenging to watch as you mentioned you know you want to turn it off a few times but yeah. um it's it's not because they're false it's because they're too honest um, yeah. <laughs> and and the, like i think my my only advice to new coming viewers is that the first couple of episodes uh can be difficult to um acclimatize to yeah uh but i think pen 15 kind of ultimately reveals itself to be a, a rewarding show there there are horrors and indignities that we all go through at that age but it it emphasizes that the imp- the important roles that friends play in propping each other up during mm. a time when we are repeatedly flawed by by heartbreak and frustration and demoralization you know things that that feel too big too big to deal with alone especially when you are so insecure and and you're so um un, uh, unworldly you know yeah. um yeah i mean that, that's that's kind of what yeah. i loved about pen 15 uh shout out to the actual 13 year olds who so, uh, who are in the supporting cast i think they did mm-hmm. a great job uh mm-hmm. you know and i mean like i i I don't know how much of their actual authentic selves they were playing. Uh, yeah. Right. Like given given the caliber of child actors uh, these days, right? Uh, yeah. uh, it, it's hard to say, you know, but just um, they definitely did contribute to the whole thing fe- feeling very real and they do allow you to believe that Maya and Anna are 13-year-olds as well just because of how natural it seems. Uh, mm-hmm. and that was something that I was kind of worried about at the beginning uh, that you know that might be something that's very telling and therefore very uh, like it breaks the illusion uh, oh yes but at no point in time did I feel like it was the supporting cast that did that you know if anything sometimes I think it's the adult actors uh, who play the adults in, in the film that um, don't quite get the don't quite help with the immersion mm. yeah Yes, yeah, uh, agreed. Um, you can actually find uh, Pen15 on Hulu if you're living on in, in the US or if you're living in Singapore, you know, just freaking VPN it, uh, get Hulu. And yeah, and you can watch Pen15. I, I do warn you that of all the things I've recommended, this is probably <laughs> the most challenging. It's weird to oh, say I've recommended man. some really heavy shit. Yeah. But this is actually the most challenging to watch. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is it, it's so many emotions at once, right? And I think like that's... Yeah why it's so brilliant. It makes you feel so many things at one time, which is mm-hmm. indicative of like what going through puberty is like, right? Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of confusion, there's a lot of cringiness, a lot of awkwardness, there's a lot of like very, uh, I mean like ultimately, you know, if, if we, we've all grown past that stage, right? And when we look back, it seems like such small things. But yep. the series being a- able to remind you about that, right? And how yes. like, um, how important those things seemed at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as trivial as they seem right now, like it, it, it's a it, it's a snapshot of of you know what puberty feels like, right? And for mm-hmm. a series like this to be able to get us <laughs> to feel those things again is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I recommend it. That, 
there's something about setting it in the year 2000 that makes it more relatable to uh, guys and girls of our age, you know, uh, because we grew up in that era um, and everything about it seems quite specific, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I watch like Stranger Things and things set in the 80s or that I don't know whether this is real, you know, whether this is authentic 80s or whether it's just our idea of what the 80s are. Uh-huh. But I can guarantee you that this is what the 80s are like. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, All, I think a lot of the internet stuff uh, that they portrayed as well, I was just like, oh my god, like that's, yeah, I, I get that, I, I was there, I, I felt that. I 100% that. Yeah. man, uh, season 2 of uh, Pen15 uh, comes out in September of this year, oh so you god. have uh, you have uh, plenty of time to catch up before you, you watch uh, <laughs> uh, before you watch uh, Pen15 season 2, where they will be graduating to age 14, <laughs> um, we more will be more cringeworthy uh stuff happening uh, but like that's what I loved about the show. Anyway, uh, moving on, we're gonna be talking about a really really funny manga called uh Goku Shufudo, the way of the house husband. It is uh, um would would you like to give a bit of a breakdown <laughs> on its premise? Yeah, so the way of the house husband uh is a Japanese manga series that is um written and illustrated by Kosuke Ono. Uh, and uh, it will also be adapted into a. It was supposed to be adapted into a live action television drama sometime mm. this year. Uh, no news as to whether they're following through with that. Uh, but COVID, yeah. essentially, the premise is that uh, Tatsu is a infamous and feared ex yakuza, uh, and he was called the Immortal Dragon during his time, and he's he's famous for taking out uh, a lot of uh, the heads of uh, his competition. Mm-hmm. While he was at at the peak of his uh, yakuza career, uh, and he retires from from that lifestyle and a life of crime to become a house husband in order to support uh, Miku, who is a career woman and a designer, right? Um, it's a very it's a highly episodic series and uh, basically just <laughs> basically just premised upon the fact that he's trying to get away from uh, a life that he has always known. Uh, right, and trying to become like the best house husband that he can be while following the same kind of principled uh, understanding of life that he's always had as a Yakuza, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of it surrounds um, his his very kind of banal domestic work uh, and uh, every once in a while, well, not every once in a while, like very often um, his... Uh, intimidating personality and the way he looks uh, coupled together with people from both friends and enemies from his past life uh, kind of like intrude upon that space to hilarious effect uh, and all, all in all uh, so there's four, four what are we at now there are 54 chapters right now it's very very breezy very quick read uh, anything in particular stand out to you hits well, um, number one, I like that it's a breezy, quick read. It fifty-four sounds like a lot, but it's not. Um, each issue probably takes you about five minutes to read at max. Yeah, and it's 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 great if you're on a bus waiting for a bus, you know, for travel. Like, it's great for travel. And uh, number two, I did it. I knew it was going to be um a gag manga, like specifically f- focusing on the banalities of, of <laughs> house husband life or domesticated life. Uh, I just didn't realize that it will be so heavily reliant on the gag. Yeah. Um, a, ga- a, gag member- a gag manga is kind of only as good as the gag. And this gag is exceptionally good. Um, 
it it can be used in multiple situations and multiple scenarios. Yeah. It can it can uh, the way of the house husband takes this one joke and tells it over and over and over and over again in various ways, and they remain funny. It 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 blows my mind because <laughs> like it, it flies against every comedic principle there is. You know, like you know you're supposed to tell new jokes, and and the way of the house husband tells the same jokes in different varieties, and they work. They work all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it reached a point, I think like midway uh, around 20 or so chapters, I was just like, okay, they're definitely going to start running out of, of ways to do it, right? Uh, yep. But they consistently deliver and they deliver on things right you would never expect, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I, I think that's just kind of the strength of this. I, I'm really curious to see how far it can go, you know, and that's kind of the reason I've just been keeping up. But just as a sort of like small escapist kind of like laugh out loud, um, mm-hmm. Thing in a day whenever it kind of updates, right? It's it's just a great, <laughs> it's yeah. it's great, and I don't know if we can call it inventive, right? Because it mm. is just that one gag, but it continuously yeah. surprises me, you know. Yes, uh, I mean, yeah. Any specific kind of like moments or chapters that you think people should kind of look out for that were your favorite? Like a a lot of it is is basically kind of surrounding. It, the creator likes to do this thing where he he likes to draw um the main character the how the the immortal dragon you know in this badass yakuza poses <laughs> with the with the tattoo at the back but then he's doing you know uh cooking or cleaning or he's taking classes you know yeah and and it's it's always it always cracks me up by how badass seriously he takes it uh, <laughs> but then the the task at hand is usually so mundane you know yeah. and and I, I keep looking forward to the next volume of Vignette or Slice of Life yeah. and the thing that, that's happening with him and I keep expecting over and over again I guess because I've been trained in this modern serialized comic story TV series kind of structure way that I keep thinking that there will be arcs happening and I, I, I keep being pleasantly surprised that there aren't you know I, I keep thinking like oh um, probably like the ex-Yakuza people that I was with are going to kidnap her, the wife and then it's going to be a whole thing and like I'm it's refreshing that they kind of stay away from that yeah to be true to what it is a gag manga and a gag manga only <laughs> Yeah, it it yeah. I I I I thought that it would have more heft and story to it. Uh, I legitimately yeah, yeah. did right. Like, there's so many ways to kind of run that, and maybe in the future it might. Uh, but I'm as for now, I'm really kind of enjoying it. Right, like it's just mm-hmm. anywhere from you know he does a uh, shop, uh, grocery shopping. He does yoga, which the yoga one is actually one of my favorite. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I yep. You know, and it's so surprising. Like just over time, like despite the fact the way that he looks and just his general disposition, he forms some very real relationships with the people around him, especially like the the other housewives um, mm-hmm. that he goes to cooking class with, or like you know that he goes shopping with, or his neighbors, and they all slowly come to accept him for who he is, and they kind of realize that sure, in his past life he might be a dealt with shady business, but who he is right now, right, is someone that they can depend upon. And someone they can they can go to for advice or for help, uh, which is very heartwarming. I think for for something of a <laughs> of a really kind of one trick pony that just keeps surprising me. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a consistently hilarious, and I, I kind of didn't expect that. There are a lot of very funny comics out there, like <laughs> yeah. like I mean, Un- Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is sort of a one gag comic as well. Yeah, sort of, but I mean, it's it definitely has a lot more 
layers to it than this does. Uh, but yeah. This is the 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 purest get comic I've ever seen. It's it's very well done, which is why I actually think that when when the live action adaptation does happen, you know, a lot of mangas that get ad- or, or anime that gets uh, adapted to live action never works. I've never yep. seen one anime or manga adapted to live action that works. But this could work. It it could it could I I think it really is going to boil down to the performances uh of yeah. of who they cast right like if they get a a believable enough um main actor and they don't lean into kind of like it the the comedy seems slapstick but I feel like if they lean too much into the slapstick uh kind of Japanese slapstick uh mm-hmm. genre it might fall flat on his face but there's a lot of potential for it to work just because it's so sketch like right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see we'll see I, I hope it gets made just so we can you can see like the potential of it uh, but outside of that like it, it's a riot and it's really really good just because um, it's so short right it's very mm. low commitment and and every once in a while you know it helps it puts a laugh into my day so yeah um, good stuff uh, something a bit different I think we've done a lot of pretty heavy uh, heavy topics and heavy uh, franchises Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last couple of weeks so hopefully if you guys are keen um, the you can find it online you can find it on your favourite manga reader uh, you can go straight to the creator's website and read it and support him as well yes. uh, yeah um, the translations are great as well so uh, that's that's one thing for all of you who don't uh, can't read Japanese Oh yeah, definitely. Like I think some of the issues with some of the web comics I've seen, like the translation is a bit like iffy. Yeah. Uh, but this one really, really works. Uh, it's probably a professional translator uh, yeah. that that did it, and it really captured the mood of the humor uh, and the tone of the of the series, which I really loved. Yeah, I mean, the way of the house has been healthy recommend for me, man. Yeah. Uh, it, it, honestly, if you kind of devote a day to it, you can finish all fifty four issues. To be honest. Yeah, for um, sure. It's, it's a it's a very quick read. Yep. Uh, and that was. Pan 15 and uh, The Way of the House has been two very different things, but two very funny things that we highly recommend uh, as well. Uh, we will be back uh, next week, actually. Uh, I know it's usually fortnightly, but since you know we don't want to clash with uh, our next genre episode, we'll be back next week with uh, three different topics. Mm-hmm. Our main topic, we'll be talking about the kind of cyberpunk noir legacy of, of Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, you know, yep. um, from, from its roots in Philip K. Dick to uh, the, the synth Bengala score, which has become iconic, to Denis Villeneuve's uh, amazing sequel, 2049, to uh, the, the million different director's cuts there are <laughs> and which you should watch, you know. So I'm excited to talk about that as well. Yep. Uh, plus, uh, I'll be recommending to Isa um, a new, well, uh, not new lah, it came out this year, uh, earlier this year, an A24 film called Waves mm-hmm. by Trey Edward Schultz, uh, which I really, really love because of its, uh, it's a two-sided film. I, I don't see many of that. Uh, the first half and the second half are distinct. Yep. Uh, and Isa asked me to, uh, well, not, not asked me lah, yeah, I actually we, asked him we, whether I could watch this. We stumbled upon it. I did not know. I was so, okay, so basically what happened was, uh, yeah. his text me and he says, um, uh, should I finish Samurai Jack? And I took a moment because I had always assumed that, uh, given the fact that we very recently um, uh, recommended Primal, right? Yeah. Which is yep. also by Glenn. Oh man. Gendy. Gendy Tartowski. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, right. So I had assumed that you know Samurai Jack was something that we've we've all kind of like done, uh, but it turns out that you haven't seen the entirety of it. 
So yeah. Uh, yeah, that turns out to be my easy way out of not actually having to recommend <laughs> recommend stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, so he's kind of recommended it to himself. Um, so we'll be talking yeah. about all four original um, seasons, seasons. Uh, and as well as the fifth season that came out in 2017. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm gonna go rewatch everything nice. just because you know it, it's such a it's such a great show. So, yeah. The thing is, right, like, I had seen Samurai Jack because, you know, when I was a lot younger, 10 years ago, like, you know, on Saturday afternoons, I would flip by Cartoon Network yep. and I would come across random episodes of Samurai Jack. And then I would watch, I've seen maybe like five, six, seven, you know, a handful yep, yeah. of, of them. But I didn't watch them in order. So I was afraid that I was going to miss something if I just jumped into season five. Right. So I, and I realized after watching all of it that I could have just jumped into season five. You, yeah. Uh, because the original show was very, fairly episodic and uh-huh. it didn't end. Uh, all I needed to do was watch the, the premiere. Yeah, and then I can jump into season five. Yeah, I that is that is largely true. Uh, we'll probably talk more uh, about like the structuring of the first four seasons and like how yeah. that kind of plays out in season five as well. Because it's it's fascinating, uh, the 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 storytelling structure um that they decided to take in season five just to kind of wrap everything up. Oh yeah, definitely. The and plus you know uh catering to the matured fan base yeah. that has grown up. Yeah. yeah sure. Uh br- brilliant stuff, can't wait. Uh we'll we'll be back next week with uh three incredible titles. Till then, this has been Hit Zero. This is Isa. Goodbye guys. Ciao.